Happy National Hot Tea Month, everyone. This is Ricardo, and here's the warm, comforting mug of offerings you can listen to in the Popping Collars feed in January 2022. The Popping Collars crew goes back for a refill of our favorite music videos this month. Did we miss your favorite last year? See if we give it a shout out this time around. Speaking of music, we have brewed up a new side project for 2022. Check out the first episode of the PC Music Diary, where one of the Popping Collars hosts dives deep into a meaningful song. This month, Greg talks about Cherub Rock by the Smashing Pumpkins. Going On 30 is stirring things up again with a new set of movies for 2022. Betsy and Greg kick things off with the Coen brothers' Barton Fink. Dan Jocelyn Simatowski is sweetening things up for a new Sacred Six. He and Greg are talking about historic moments from the national pastime Major League Baseball through the lens of sacramental theology. They lead off with a conversation about the baptism of a new America when Jackie Robinson integrated the game. Finally, don't miss Tea Time with the PC Book Club this month. Liz and I share the New York Times Top 10 of 2021 and our brand new recommendations for the year. Pull up a chair, grab a scone, and don't forget to keep those pinkies out and those collars pop. I'm Greg. And I'm Betsy. And this is Going on 30, a popping color side project where we, um, oh no, maybe we, uh, I'm sorry, I'm having a bit of writer's block here. Um, uh, let me see. Um, I don't know, something will happen, we'll figure it out. With movies that were nominated or should have been nominated for Best Picture 30 years ago this month, looking at Barton Fink. For the first time in the history of the Cannes Film Festival, one film has swept all the major awards. Barton Fink. Welcome to Los Angeles, Mr. Fink. Excuse me? Howdy, neighbor. Are you a writer, Mr. Fink? Actually, I'm writing for the pictures now. Oh, it's an exciting time, man. The writer is king here at Capitol Pictures. We're only interested in one thing. Can you tell a story, Bond? Can you make us laugh? Can you make us cry? Can you make us want to break out? Enjoy a song. Is that more than one thing? Okay. Devil on the canvas. 12 apple. Take one. Just having trouble getting started. Wallace Beery. Wrestling picture. What do you need? A roadmap? We all need understanding, Barton. Oh, you'll lick this picture business. Believe me, you got a head on your shoulders. And what is it they say? Where there's a head, there's hope. I'm sitting in the audience. The lights go down. The logo comes up. Come on. Hey, LAPD. Got some questions we want to ask you. Sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm in trouble. Some horrible's happened. Female Caucasian, about 30 years old. Ever seen Munt with anyone fit that description? But you know, with the head still on. Well, Barton, you might say I saw peace of mind. Right now, the contents of your head 
are the property of Capitol Pictures. Charlie, why me? Because you don't listen! I'm a writer. A new film by Joel and Ethan Cohen. Betsy, I have a brief description of Barton Fink. Would you like to hear it? Yes. I imagine it will be very brief because not much happens. In <laughs> An hour into the movie, we're still staring at walls. Here we go. A renowned New York playwright is enticed to California to write for the movies and discovers the hellish truth of Hollywood. Accurate. Accurate. <laughs> I mean, the Coen brothers had had success up to this point. So are they biting the hand that feeds them? Like, what is, I mean, and they, I don't know. We'll get into it. We'll get into we'll get it. Into Betsy, it. what is your history with the movie? Burn? <laughs> I have never seen this movie. Never. And I, I was trying to kind of deduce how that happened. Some of it is the poster for this movie looks wildly like the David Lynch film Eraser. <laughs> <laughs> And I'm not typically drawn to David Lynch movies. It's just not my <laughs> zone of interest. The poster of this movie is a close-up of John Turturro staring at a mosquito. Yes. And he's got like stuff on his forehead. So he like vaguely looks like Harry Potter a little bit. But then <laughs> the hair is up like the eraser head because he has his hair is kind of quaffed into, you know, what the uh, the hairdo that he has, but it looks like it looks like a razor head. So no, even though I hung out with a lot of boys mm-hmm. who love film in the 1990s, independent film, I somehow escaped viewing this movie. And so this film, I think, plays exactly in their wheelhouse. So maybe they didn't share it with me because they just wanted to watch it alone <laughs> and having their experience with the movie. So, you know, nice. Yeah. Um, what about you? Uh, I came to Barton Fink not as late as you did, <laughs> just like <laughs> right before this podcast. So, uh, so at some point, I'm pretty sure that I ripped off like these three Coen Brother movies in a row, uh, which is Miller's Crossing, Barton Fink, and then I think they follow up Barton Fink with Hudsucker Proxy. So I want to say that uh, you know Barton Fink was the Empire Strikes Back of the the these three movies, and I kind of probably watch them all back to back to back on a on a weekend i will agree with you in that and we'll likely get into this when we get to your hot takes uh barton fink being slow but i you know it, i guess it's the the final 20 minutes of this movie just kind of stuck with me and so whenever i think of barton fink i don't think of anything really up until a flaming hotel hallway yeah and it but, takes a long ass time to get there Takes a long time to get there. Yeah. So, uh, so speaking of flaming hallways, what are your hot takes <laughs> on uh, A segue just waiting to happen. So, mm-hmm. yeah, the movie is slow. The camera angle work was different in this. Miller's Crossing was very cinematic, right? And and this, you know, suddenly we're in like first person views. We're doing lots. It's interesting. But I, I'm overall, I'm wondering: Is this the Coen Brothers' take on what independent film? And I did not go looking things up to like ver- verify my um, ideas, but uh, how their experience of the film industry. And I think also being a writing directing team, mm-hmm. it's not like they're just directors. So there's mm-hmm. that aspect of their work as well. 
And, you know, this was a, they were told by the system that they couldn't have their names both as direct. You can't have two directors of a movie. Right. You know, there's all these systemic things that they kept running into. And so had to kind of divide and conquer and do what they were doing, even though they were both doing the work and somehow working it out by sending it into the 1940s. It, for me, the beginning was really slow. I mean, it was like watching wallpaper peel, <laughs> peel. a little bit, <laughs> even though these are all actors I appreciate and I enjoy uh, and the understatedness of kind of Totoro and Goodman at the beginning yeah, up against these super loud and flamboyant people that were surrounding them was also interesting. But yeah, but you was, are literally watching wallpaper peel off the wall. You literally are. Yeah, you literally are. Um, I agree with you in that I think that there I think this is autobiographical. Barton, he's he's kind of a guy that accidentally found himself writing a Hollywood movie. You know, he doesn't seem to be particularly uh, talented or bright or really good at his job. Um, he just kind of wrote a really good play that got kind of him a death of a death of a salesman vibe, like <laughs> right. writing about real people. Um, and I can imagine the Coens kind of waking, feeling like they woke up on Mars. You know, they just kind of like they worked with their buddy Sam Raimi on Evil Dead and stuff like that, and then we're like, well, we I guess we could make a movie too. Made you know, a murder mystery kind of called blood simple. And then like everything just kind of went, took off for them from there with mm-hmm. probably raising Arizona being like a big hit for them. Oh, big ish. Right. Yeah. And, um, and I could see being in a situation where it's like, you know, you've got, you've maybe got ideas for movies. Maybe you don't. I mean, a lot of this movie is about Barton not having ideas, you know, but still having pressure on him from, the industry to make something. Well, and the assertion and, of cliche is really interesting too. Because yeah. It's a wrestler film. Like this right. is how it goes. Right. I mean, there's so much of this that you could, you could transfer one-to-one for like a Marvel movie, you know, like, like it goes back to that conversation that we were talking about a lot last year where there's so much of this. It's like, Hey, Nomadland. Great. Uh, can you do something with these superheroes? Can like, give us something here, you know? And it's like, it feels a lot like that. Yeah, I mean, I'm trying to imagine what that conversation was after Raising Arizona, which is so weird and quirky, but such a favorite film in our house to then be like, yeah, let's do another one like that. How would you, how in the hell would you do another one? Like, how do you even genre some of their films? Right? right. Like, you know, Village Crossing, we can talk about it as a gangster film. And they very much are like, oh, well, well we've done that one. We don't do that again. Like, right. That one's done. Even though, yes, they like to return to the 40s and the 30s and they like a period film, but it's not the same subject when they go back. Mm -hmm. Let's see. Some other notes that I wrote down. I love the mosquito element in this movie. It's every time he goes to meetings with uh, Hollywood bloodsuckers, he bears the scars (laughs) like of actual bloodsuckers. Yes. Tony Um, Shalhoub. <laughs> so there's a there's a lot of that stuff. There's constant references to heads, you know. There's the grim kind of what's in the box scenario, but there's also this constant reference to what's inside of Barton's head and people having access to that. Yeah, who owns what? Because in the end, even though Barton has written something that he thinks is amazing through his, you know, satanically inspired whatever the heck is happening there. <laughs> Uh, whatever deal has been happening thing that he 
he isn't going to own it in the end. Capital still owns it. Right. But they're not going to make it. At the heart of this movie, it feels like the Coens are basically saying, hey, we're two dudes that just want to make art. But life isn't that simple. And Hollywood's definitely not that simple. And so I feel like there's this sort of siren call to a muse, right, that they want to follow, kind of represented by this lady staring off into the distance. You know, it's this Mm -hmm. kind of um, creative, angelic image that they're sort of drawn to. Um, But at the same time, they have to carry around the sins of sort of artistic compromise and back room deal making with devils around with them. And they don't want to acknowledge that they've done this horrible thing, but they have to carry it with them wherever they go. There's a lot, this movie exists in metaphor. And if you're not metaphor, if you're not a metaphor person, I don't think this movie's for you. No. Well, and I think that's why I kind of had to keep dipping into it just to kind of keep myself in it. I'm like, all right, let's, let's, Let's let's get on this old sawhorse and work this metaphor a little further. I mean, Judy Davis is awesome. Mm-hmm. I think she does a tremendous job. Just how she, just how she, you know, she has to portray that relationship with John Mahoney and 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 all of those sorts of things. And it's kind of then, well, who actually, whose head is the information actually coming out of? Is this a Faustian odyssey? <laughs> I think so. because okay, they so- not only do they love a period film, they love a good. Right. Let's talk about the Greeks. Let's- so not to go full film, bro. I'm not trying I mean, to avoid. Greg, I don't want you to hold back with me. I want you to be <laughs> real and honest with me. I know I made fun of that at the top of the show, but you know I don't want you to hide yourself. And this is a safe space. I mean, it's a, here's brave, the thing. it's a brave space. Here's be the thing. Greg. Just to parse yeah. that out a little bit, go there ahead. is a toxic element on the internet that wants to explain every movie to you and why it's important and why it's genius and, you know, all of this stuff. And if you disagree, then you're clearly, you know, dumb or stupid or uh, a woman or, you know, there's this really toxic kind of thing that happens right on the internet. I'm trying not to feed into that, but also trying to say that I really like this movie. (laughs) I appreciate you resisting toxic masculinity, Greg. I appreciate the to seeing the struggle, just like Barton. Okay. Um, so, so I I think the very first place that you have to start with this movie is that it, it's a fantasy. It's not it's not real. There's nothing like no, no. there's nothing based in reality happening in this movie. It's a it's a hotel that's full of people, but you don't see any other people, right? Yeah. There's my absolute favorite line on the elevator where. Uh, Barton asked the elevator operator, have you read the Bible? Have you read the Bible, Pete? Holy Bible? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Anyway, I've heard about it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. The Holy Bible. It's just so like uh, turned up and it just feels like you're inside of a, you know, an imagination or something larger. Mm -hmm. And so when you I think when you watch the movie, like nothing, nothing is what the image says it is. So wallpaper peeling off the walls isn't wallpaper peeling off the walls. It's something else. Right. Same thing with mosquitoes. Same thing with 
shoes um, laid outside of the hotel door. Um, the same thing with the box that he has to carry around. Nothing's quite, nothing is what it seems. And so, like, I think that that's an exercise that is a really good thing because movies are able to do that kind of conversation. And I feel like so often most of the things that we watch are tell don't show. And, you know, this is a medium that can really draw you into like dreamlike worlds, not to get into too David Lynchian on this, but can draw you into uh, dreamlike worlds and really give you this opportunity to kind of explore what is it, what does this mean? What does it mean to be creative without having someone sort of giving a soliloquy about, okay, so the creative process is, I think that's good. I think that's the mark of a good movie. No, and it took me a bit because I didn't know the film and didn't look up anything to kind of figure out the fantasy. It took me some time. Mm-hmm. To kind of, and I think actually some of the workload for Steve Buscemi, I was looking at this, uh, this hotel, these, these rooms, mm-hmm. the hallways just go on and on in this very kind of like surrealist way with this crazy ass wallpaper. And I'm looking at this and like, if this is like, like the sixth floor or whatever we're on mm-hmm. this old Pete, the his name Pete, the, the operator of the elevator. Right. Who it's comes like, out of the, who comes like, out of the ground. Right. It, it's right. kind of like this, you know, this demon image of like, yeah. this coming up. So it's it. very, then I was like, Oh, this, this is yeah. a fantasy. Speaking of demons, what was your take on John Goodman's devil character here? I found the, the beginning of his performance slightly excruciating. Uh, because, and then now looking back on a retrospect, oh, it's because he is, he's having to have contrast to who he's going to be at the end. Right. So he's very much this, oh, gee, Willikers, you know, tell me a little more about that. Well, you know, life insurance, it's a real humdinger. And, you know, like that sort of kind of gee whiz kind of quality to him. Yeah. Uh, While at the same time becoming like the only other person Barton really knows. There's a few people in New York hopefully your numbers are growing, who feel we have an opportunity now to forge something real out of everyday experience. Create a theater for the masses based on a few simple truths, not on some shop-worn abstractions about drama that don't hold true today if they ever did. I, I don't guess this means much to you. Hell yeah, I could tell you some stories. And that's the point, that we all have stories. The hopes and dreams of the common man are as noble as those of any king. The stuff of life. Why shouldn't it be the stuff of theater? I can see you feel pretty strongly about it. Well, I don't mean to get up on my high horse. But why shouldn't we look at ourselves up there? Who cares about the fifth earl of Bastrop and Lady Higginbottom and... And who killed Nigel Grinch Gibbons? I could feel my butt getting sore already. Exactly, Charlie. You understand what I'm saying a lot more than some of these literary types because you're a real man. And I could tell you some stories. Sure you could, and yet many... I mean, it becomes G. Willikers, but, you know, if when it starts, when, when Barton calls the front desk on him... Yes. And he comes to the door... Like he's annoyed, like he's angry. He's annoyed, but annoyed in a G. Willikers fashion. Which and is- then he goes into G. Willikers, and then it comes back to 
why did you do all this? And it's like, well, why did you call the front desk? <laughs> right. It's like, it's like his revenge. Um, speaking of devils, Betsy. Oh, is it top five? It's time for a top five. Top oh, five. It's been so long. Top five movie devils. Movie devils. Excellent. Yeah. I'm into yeah. it. Okay. Um, all right. Is there John an honorable Goodman, mention? Does John Goodman make the list? I don't know. Yes, I do have an honorable mention right here because he's not a real person. <laughs> oh, okay. It's not a real person. It's not a real person. The devil in Fantasia. The Fantasia devil. Yeah, I'm a decent um, devil. Big devil. Giant devil. All right. Now, okay, number five. Number five. Uh, your friend. Our friend. Ewan McGregor. Last Days oh, in the Desert. Nice. Devil. Love it. You know, go the devil just watch, wants to be your friend. Go back and listen to that episode. My oh, friend, uh, the devil. Pop and collar. So good. Good. <laughs> yeah. All right. Number four. Number four. Much bigger devil. Al Pacino. Devil's advocate. Devil. Uh. Oh, Keanu Reeves. <laughs> I can't wait for Point Break. I'm so excited for that coming up. Teaser. Okay, great. All right, uh, number three. Okay, uh, number three, off the beaten path, Juliet Catone from Last Temptation of Christ. Devil. Oh. This was, okay. she was like a 10-year-old girl when she played the devil in this movie. That's pretty good. Uh, and it was affecting. more sort of, you know, sympathetic healer devil. Like, why don't you just come on down? Everything seems, like seems like you're in a lot of pain. <laughs> no, this seems not so great for you right now. Come on. All right, cool. Number two. Number two, classic devil, Tim Curry devil from Legend. Oh, that's a good one. That is Love a good one. Tim Curry. I, I can only imagine. How long do you think Tim Curry sat in the makeup chair for that devil? So long. So wild. Long. Wild. All right. Number one. Number one devil, and this is probably a personal number one devil, Peter Stormare from Constantine. Speaking of uh, Keanu Reeves, uh, Betsy, what was your best scene from Barton Fink? I really liked the unhingedness of the USOC. Excuse me, buddy. Mind if I cut in? This is my day, fella. <laughs> Come on, buddy. I'm shipping out tomorrow. I'm a writer, celebrating the completion of something good. Do you understand that, Taylor? Beat it, great. Come on, buddy. Do the Navy a dance. Let somebody else spin the day. Step aside, 4 Hey, 4 take a hike. Suck an egg. Don't sit on a tomato. I'm a writer, you monsters. I create. I create for a living. I'm a creator. I am a creator. Interesting. I found that it was like suddenly because I've also at that point was starved for other human beings to be in this <laughs> film. So I was like, whoa, we're in a big room full of people. Because I'd also wondered, you know, it is 1941. How, you know, how are we talking about the war? What's happening? And right. and to, so have, go to like, a dance club, dance we go to a dance club, have some sailors and some army guys get in a fight. Have Barton get his clock cleaned a little bit. Right. I'm I'm creative. Just the yelling and the and he's just so gone. Yeah. But he's so excited that yeah. he finished this thing. But he's super messed up. <laughs> he's very messed up at that yeah. point. Yeah. Very messed okay. up. What about you? Uh it's uh look upon me. I'll show you the life of the mind. I I am so sort of uh captivated by the image of the hallway on fire 
and the and the the slowness with which it starts you know you've mm-hmm. got these two cops sort of standing in the middle of the hallway john goodman walks out of the elevator and everything just kind of intensify but it doesn't intensify right away right mm-hmm. it just keeps growing keeps growing keeps growing until you know until it's just pure madness by the end of it Brother, is it hot? How you been, buddy? Well, don't look at me like that. It's just me, Charlie. I hear it's month. Madman month. Jesus, people can be cruel. It's not my build, it's my personality. They say I'm a madman part, but I'm not mad at anyone. And I would even add, like, following that whole thing, um, his monologue with uh, Barton at the end of the movie and this sort of realization that, you know, this evil came into his life because he couldn't be bothered to just write his script. He had to call the front desk to complain about the person next door. You know, it's like this simple thing resulted in chaos. You know, I do think I do think Goodman does a great job. Yeah, he does a great job. So when we go to best performance, that's where I am. I'm I'm at John Goodman crushes it. Yeah, he does. So. I'm, I'm I'm gonna go with Judy Davis. Okay, I, I thought she did just to really you know she she the way she delivers the dialogue it breaks through the time period ness of mm-hmm. it and the light southern drawl and you know just you're just imagining that. Her interactions with John Mahoney, like he's some sort of like Tennessee Williams type character. Yeah. Yeah. I just, I, I like their interaction. I think she does a great job. Yeah. yeah. Um, Betsy, I've got some stats about the movie. Stats, 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 stats. Barton Fink opened on August 21st, 1991. Ooh, a summer release. Okay. Which Betsy, new feature for 2022, new feature for the pod. Uh, I'm going to give you this as a feature for every time we say the date that a movie came out. It's this day in 90210 history because we have finally entered the 90210 era. And so whenever we talk about a movie's release date, I will tell you what happened on the most recent episode of 90210. Uh, That that brings me a lot of joy and knowing that show can kind of run all year round because we got the beach club. There's all kinds of stuff. That's right. 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 As a matter of fact, August 21st, 1991, we're in the Beach Club era on this day in 90210. We are at season two, episode six, titled Pass Not Pass. The description of the episode is a conflict arises between Brenda and Andrea when they are both attracted to their drama teacher. Oh, This is summer acting camp. Andrea must have 
she must have been on the outs with Brandon at that point, I'm guessing. And Brandon's long-awaited car is a nightmare. That's about you remember right. Brandon was saving up. The reason he left the peach pit to go work at the beach club was to save up for a car money. because Nat wasn't paying him enough. Again, another union issue. Chad and Brandon <laughs> need to get it together. Got it. That's this day in 90210 history. Excellent. The domestic gross of this movie was $6 million. Uh, so that made it the number 131 grossing movie of 1991. Uh, Betsy, this movie sits at number 6,128 on the top grossing movies of all time. Oh, no. Oh, no. This is unmistakably the worst. Lowest. This is the worst. The movie. lowest rated movie we've yes. ever Yes, yeah. yes, we should say that lowest rated, not worst, lowest rated. Right. Because we, um, we still watch that um, William Hurt movie. That's right. Yeah. So it is between a movie called Spellbound, which is a documentary about the 1999 National Spelling Bee. Okay. okay. And a movie called Millennium, which is about an NTSB investigator seeking the cause of an airline disaster who meets a warrior woman from 1,000 years in the future. Well, I like this. We're getting lower, and the quality <laughs> and interest of these films sounds better than running into all these demon possession movies in, like, the 1,000s and 2,000s. All right. Okay, 6,000s. I'm all okay. about it. So, a documentary okay. about spelling bees. Got it. The Palm Door winner in Cannes from 1991. <laughs> And, and I don't even know how to categorize the third one. And a movie about a warrior woman from the future. <laughs> Meeting a government official who investigates. To talk about a plane crash. crash. <laughs> flirt, marry, kill. Okay. All right. Um, I'm going to flirt with Millennium. <laughs> no, no, no. I take that back. No. Yeah. I'm going to flirt with Millennium. No. I'm gonna I'm gonna flirt with Spellbound. Oh no! I'm gonna flirt with Spellbound. I'm gonna marry Barton Fink, and I'm gonna kill the Warrior Woman. Sorry, <laughs> it doesn't sound great. What about you? You can't kill a Warrior Woman. Oh, uh, maybe I can. Well, she died a thousand years ago. She's gonna die <laughs> no. again. I forgot to write in my notes who starred in Millennium. So hang on, let me look this up real quick. Maybe that'll help us. Does your Opinion of Flirt, Mary Kill change if I tell you that Millennium stars Chris Christopherson and Cheryl Ladd? <laughs> no, it does not. I I stay. I stick. <laughs> so I thought maybe this is a movie coming out around the Millennium, like when you kind of put the Millennium on things and this will sell. No, what, no what? This, okay. is, this is 1989. Oh, my gosh. So it's kind of like when Prince... Releases 1999. That's right. Yeah, that's right. I am going to flirt with Millennium. That sounds intriguing. I'll marry, <laughs> I'll marry Barton Fink because uh, I'm married to the Coen brothers at this point. And I'll kill Spellbound because I don't, I don't need to, I don't need to know how to spell. Uh, Barton Fink got a 90% on Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, Betsy, what do you Not think? Not surprised. All the people there love it. <laughs> Betsy, what do you think our good friend Raj thought about it? Uh, that's Roger Ebert for those who are he new. He is he's gonna love it. I think he's gonna like the that that the French liked it. Uh Roger Ebert says it's an assured piece of comic filmmaking. Three and a half out of four stars. 
an assured piece of comic filmmaking. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I feel like that could have been better written. Sorry. <clears throat> and Bessie, uh, returning for 2022, because I could not find uh, a Janet Maslin comment at all about right. this movie. So returning once again uh, to our esteemed ranks here at Going on 30 is Pauline Kale. Pauline Kale! Yes. Who uh, did not review this movie because she was long done by this point in her yes. career. But in an interview uh, said this, I was quite shocked at Miller's Crossing and even more shocked by Barton Fink. It seems to me a misconception at almost every level. It's a terrible picture. Oh! Pauline Kale. Okay. Pauline Kale. Not earning friends in the Cohen camp. Okay, so uh, so how did Barton Fink do at the Oscars? It had no wins, but it was nominated for three Oscars. Three Oscars. Oh. Uh, not Best Picture, um, because no. this is a Greg pick, but... Uh, what three Oscars was this nominated for? Set design. Okay, ding. I'll give it to you. Best art direction. Oh, good. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, use of fire in a film. <laughs> no. Um, I think that goes with the art direction. I think it does. That's all art direction. <sighs> it wasn't nominated for any acting ones, was it? It was. It was nominated for one acting award. John Goodman. No. John Turturro? I got to tell you, no, I got to tell you, the acting award for this is really strange. Who is it? Michael Lerner was nominated for uh, Best Supporting Actor for his role as the smarmy Hollywood executive. Oh. He got uh, one and, um, and it's related to probably when the movie is set. Costumes. Yep. Best costumes. Oh, uh, period film. God, mm-hmm. I got to get back in the swing of things for 2022. Okay. Yeah, okay. uh, but no screenplay, none of that stuff. Yeah, all the stuff that you would kind of peg it for. Wasn't in there. Now, people are going to say to you, Wallace Beery, wrestling, it's a B picture. You tell them, we do not make B pictures here at Capitol. Let's put a stop to that rumor right now. Thanks, Lou. Join us. Join us. We're talking about the Wally Beery picture. Excellent picture. Yeah, we got a treatment on it yet? No, not yet, Jack. We just bought the story. Saturday evening post. Ah, the hell with the story. <clears throat> Wally Beery is a wrestler. I want to know his hopes, his dreams. Naturally, you have to get mixed up with a bad element. And uh, romantic interest. You know the drill. Romantic interest, or else a young kid, an orphan. What do you think, Lou? Wally a little too old for romantic interest? Which is it, Bart? Orphan? Dame? Both, maybe? Maybe we should do a treatment. Hell. Let Bart take a crack at it. He'll get in the swing of things, or I don't know writers. Let's make it a damn Bart. Keep it simple. We don't got to tackle the world the first time out. The important thing is we all wanted to have that Bart and Fink feeling. I mean, I guess we all have that Bart and Fink feeling. But since you're Bart and Fink, I'm assuming you have it in spades. Seriously, Bart. I like you. We're off to a good start. I'd like to see something by the end of the week. Okay, Bessie, let's get to our big idea about the movie. I wrote... Selling out as the big idea to sort of take away, which is a concept that we've talked about before, is maybe a concept that doesn't exist anymore. Um, mm-hmm. But I'll repeat a question from the past that I've, I remember I've asked you before. Are we, you and I, Generation Xers, are we the last generation that's concerned with the concept of selling out? I think Patton Oswald would say yes. 
And I think, I think that's true. I mean, there's always going to be people who are looking for things that are against the grain that are not the most popular, you know, that want to discover the new thing. Yeah. And then they'll stick with the new thing. I I, I don't know. I feel like maybe we held it more generationally, Mm -hmm. we felt more vast than it does now. I think there are always those people though, who will have that concept of selling out. But yeah, I think it relates to my big idea in that, you know, we're, we're now heading into hot independent film time, right? Like people have lived through the eighties. They're remembering back in the seventies when unattractive people can be movie stars and, you know, and the, and the movies are a little weird and things are kind Mm -hmm. of interesting. And like, can't we get back to that again? And and also thinking about the generation of people making films being brought up on movies from the seventies and, but it's before Miramax. Right. Yeah. And so, and that, that there will become that moment of the, it it does the indie film sell out. Yeah. So we're like on that trajectory. Yeah. And I guess that's, I mean, that's honestly what the Coens are concerned about in this movie. Clearly. I think when, when my sister and I were talking about the guys who like this movie and who like the Coen brothers, there's parts of that aspect of naming selling out that's performative. That's saying, right. hey, look at me. I'm super smart. Check out my knowledge. I know these things. I have this information because there also wasn't the Internet. So you had to kind of know like what cool zines to read or what music ma- magazines you were reading and and uh, entertainment news that you were picking up and and that sort of thing. You had to kind of procure that me being in like Birmingham, Alabama in a way that's way, way easier to do now mm-hmm. and the commodification of all of that. So it's, it's very much, I think tr- we're looking at a, at the beginnings and, and we've kind of seen the beginnings too. I look at this movie as being, and I'm going to bring a little bit of our pop and collars in here, prophetic. And I think it's mm. prophetic in the way that the prophets not, were not necessarily future tellers. They were not looking at a crystal ball and predicting the future of what was going to happen for the people of Israel. Some of the stuff was already going down, like it was happening already. And so we've been here, we looked at sex, lies and videotape. Like we've looked at some independent films leading up to this point. And so now it's like, okay, so, so the, the, the shift is coming, right? Things are happening and they're naming that in this movie, but they're also naming the pitfalls and the traps that are also on their way and they're coming. So it's interesting to me to kind of look at it as a, as a prophecy. I feel like when it comes to movies, especially, we've fallen into a world where um, creative people, directors that have a, you know, kind of an auteur style. So I'm thinking of like Ryan Johnson or Chloe Zhao or Taika even are have fallen into a scenario where it's one for them, one for us. It's no longer sort of like the old model that Paul Thomas Anderson or Wes Anderson or Quentin Tarantino have, which is, no, they're all mine. I'm just going to make them mine and it'll be a blockbuster because I did it. We've gotten into this world where it's like, okay, well, I'll do your Star Wars, but then I'm going to do my Knives Out over here or I'll do your Thor, but I'm going to do my uh, Jojo Rabbit over here. So it's kind of like one it's it's one for the studio and one for you. Mm-hmm. And I, I feel like that's the compromise that was made. I mean, even the Coen brothers, good buddy, Sam Raimi is putting out a Dr. Strange movie this year, you know? Right. So it's like in a world where, I mean, let's face it, only one kind of movie makes money at the box office. It's Spider-Man. It's Dr. Strange. It's Thor. like, those are the only movies that make money. Everything else loses money. Right. So 
in a world where those are the only movies that make money, it feels like the only way to sort of hold on to your auteur aesthetic is to give one to Disney and then you can get one for yourself later on. Well, and, and the fact that we're heading towards this kind of revolution in movies and those names you were named were all men, except for Chloe Zhao. Right. Like, it's still very much a male aesthetic. And it's and to go back to the prophecy thing, it actually the movie does have all of the parts of the prophetic narrative. There's a call of mm-hmm. calling you up, you're going to Hollywood, call story, the diagnosis, so you see what's wrong in Hollywood. The prognosis, this is how bad it's gonna get. A flaming hotel if right. nothing is done to change this. The question is, is there any hope in this movie? Right. And that's the question of how do you interpret John Goodman's line of look upon me, I'll show you the life of the mind while the hallway is burning down. I mean, is he he basically saying, look at that, I'm going to set fire to all of your ideas. Like, I'm going to set fire to all of your creativity. Like, it's going to be gone. Much of the prophecies are about you. We got to burn this down. Mm -hmm. The system has to come down if we're actually going to change it. And so maybe there's something aspirational at the same time about this movie that they're like saying this system doesn't work. Yeah, I wonder how a new generation picture doesn't work. Right. I wonder how a new generation is inspired. Right. Like, is it like the the next great directors that come out? I guess when I think at the end of the day of Barton Fink being a Faustian story and you're talking about prophetic story, Mm -hmm. like that's the that's the Faustian deal that I see being made is you can make your movie, but you've got to make our movie first. Mm -hmm. And that. I don't know. That feels like maybe I'm ridiculous. Maybe I'm coming from a totally, you know, pre-social media way of thinking about this, pre-Spotify, pre-like everything is potentially marketable, you know, even down to like your personality. But I feel like that's a loss. Like, I feel like that's a, that's a giving up if you're one corporate, one indie. I mean, maybe it's just where we are. Maybe that's just what it is going forward. And I think fan this out to other systems, capitalist systems and those sorts of things. There's there's such, we've all just been drinking the water for so long. Mm-hmm. But how, how can we actually in, encompass or imagine a world where we burn it all down? You know, we've, we've had to work inside the system for so long. Listen, Hollywood has sold you a lot of sugar and has gotten you addicted to it. And it's like, don't you want more sugar? Like, don't you want to record yourself reacting to the new Spider-Man movie when X actor shows up? You know, it's like, like now you've become part of the marketing tool for the whole thing by posting your funny video. And it's like, we all need to go on the whole 30 to get off riding the sugar dragon. I'm just I'm I'm saying that like we've been sold this world where it's like oh you're you can be TikTok famous for loving our corporate stuff and it's like no like all of this is all of this is is really creatively stifling yeah. and I'm not sure that we're headed for a golden age of cinema agreed and I think that that's what the Coens are worried about with this movie way to go everybody nice Sorry. job Okay. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> well, it's just it's just it's just true. It's just true. It's okay. Um well, let me this will probably help us out. Who do you think this movie's for? A Hollywood cautionary tale? <laughs> I think if I think if we I think if we expand it out to look at other systems, I think it's kind of for people in their 20s at the time. 
Yeah. Speaking to that kid in the baggy jeans and the Doc Martens, you know. You yeah. Can you? I love that kid. That you? kid went on to be a film bro, and that's who this movie's for. His movie's for film bros. Film bros. There's film bros, pretentious cinephiles who want to sound smarter than everyone else when they say that right. they love Barton Fink. Oh, I love Barbie. I saw it before everybody else. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I saw it opening weekend along with the 10 <laughs> other people who saw it. <laughs> I was, I had $5 into that $6 million. Cross. That's right. I even saw a matinee. It was great. But <laughs> first, um, let's see. Uh, what is your rating for this movie out of five? Um, I'm going to give it a four. Oh, Wow. Okay. You. Okay. Uh, uh, okay. I'm speechless. Because I think some of this conversation has turned me around a little bit on the film. <laughs> Am I going to go back and like say like, hey, to my to my daughter, like you need to watch this film. It's really important. I don't know whether I'm going to do that. I am holding, though, some wider ideas about what this film is about. And maybe some things now that I'm 47 as a Gen Xer in the rearview mirror that I can be like, oh. I see what's up here. I see what you're doing, Cohen Brothers. So yeah, so I'm giving it a four. It a four. Wow. Oh what my are you God. giving it? You're giving I, it a five. You're giving it a five. No, I've given it a four out of five as well. Like, why? How does it not? How is it not a five? I, I I cannot believe. Like, or are you the teacher that never gives anybody a hundred? I thought you were going to give it a one. I thought we were like so divided on this. No. Um. Okay. So I here's what I wrote. Uh, I wrote that I think your mileage varies widely with this movie, depending on what eyes you're seeing it through. Um, it's a giant metaphor, and that's going to drive some people crazy, and it's going to delight others. Um, and I think it's it's because of that. It's like, you know, it's like every dream. Like the logic, dream logic doesn't always hold together. And so it's, it you know, there's parts of this movie that feel very frustrating. There are parts of this movie that feel like you're watching, literally watching, wallpaper peel off of walls and you know that part's a struggle like i i still find this film to be a struggle even though i like it which is why it's a four out of five for me it's not like totally immersive like yeah let's fire it up i'm gonna love it every time it's like mm -hmm. it's work it's this movie is work to it watch it i nominated this movie you did why did you nominate this movie first yeah. point to make i would nominate every cohen brother movie because i'm in the bag all right. Corners. I like that we're just naming that out front for the rest of this, however long this podcast runs for. I would nominate every Cohen movie, but again, we're talking about a new generation of filmmakers. And that's what that's what it's, excites me about the movies that we're talking about now and will be talking about going forward. Mm -hmm. You know, Spike Lee, Quentin Tarantino. Now I'm gonna name all men because this is what it I know. This is still early 90s, but Spike Lee, Quentin Tarantino, Steven Soderbergh. Um, Coen Brothers, John Singleton, Richard Linklater, like these, we're going to be, you know, going through all of their works, these guys works. And it just like, it's lovely to me to go back and revisit these sort of early offerings from these um, directors. And uh, this movie in particular feels like what it means to grapple with being one of those creators in the Hollywood system at this point. So I think that it's, I think that it's really important for um, how we understand movies that get made now and why movies get made now uh, 30 years later. Yeah. So I think yeah. it makes sense. 
that is it for the show. We have reached the end of the show. Well, that's and, so, and up next, up next. Oh yes. Pro- Let's speaking talk about-, about toxic masculinity. Sorry. Next. Sorry. Um, by the way, there may be a theme to the movies of 1991, <laughs> which is to say what it means to be a man is going to be uh, an ongoing theme for most of the movies that we talk about this Agreed. year. Um, however, uh, the next movie that we watch may be the first and only, I think, animated film that we will ever talk about on going on 30 betsy it's a tale as old as time is beauty and the beast song as old as rhyme (laughs) beauty and the beast betsy don't don't think that next month when we talk about beauty and the beast i won't be bringing up the ron perlman linda hamilton beauty and the beast show that was airing at the same time that this movie came out so on CBS. So many trench coats, Greg, so many <laughs> trench coats and fog machines. <laughs> I cannot wait for you to bring it up. It's going to be great. It's going to be Betsy, thank you for helping me get the wallpaper back up on the wall. I'm not sure why it keeps peeling off, but I'm, I'm sure it's nothing. I'm sure it's I'm nothing. sure it's fine. I'm sure it's I'm not. Sure it's, I'm sure it's all fine. It's fine. <laughs> all right. Uh, Beauty and the Beast next time. We'll see you then. See you then. Bye.